0: Coming to you, live from Canada, here comes your game-changing, life-transforming, turning point moment. Ahem. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church, powered by hope, not hype, online at engagedchurch.ca. Last few weeks, last few months, I guess, all summer, we've been going through a series called Campfire Stories. And Campfire Stories, um, what we're talking about is um, live the sto- or hear the story, live the story. And so... What that means is in the Bible, we read these stories. Sometimes you have like a Bible reading plan. And I actually am five days away from finishing my year-long Bible reading plan that I started 10 years ago. So uh, pretty stoked about that. Um, So I mean, I think it was only like four years ago, but still. uh, Bible reading's great. But what, what we do is when we read our Bibles, sometimes we just blaze through it. You know, we're like, okay, we got like four chapters to read today plays through it, nothing even sticks. You're like, what did that even mean? I don't even know. And you kind of go on. So this series, we're talking all about what the stories actually mean, what the people in the Bible are like, and uh, how God changed them. So last week, Pastor Brett asked us the question, who do we think that Jesus, who do we say that Jesus is, using the story uh, in Matthew 16, when uh, Jesus says, who do you say I am to Peter and the disciples? and, And Peter proclaims that Jesus is the son of the living God. And so today I want to continue this series using one of the stories Pastor Brett actually started last week, which is in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bible today, let's see it. Who has a, who has a hard copy Bible today? One, two, we're going for a record today, three, four, oh my, okay, this is, this is a record, guys. Last week we had the record at seven, uh, we're back up, I think we have like 10 this week, so uh, I'm going to tell Pastor Brett to go on vacation more often, because that obviously helps. So. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. So in 1 Kings, we arrive at this story where the prophets of Baal are begging that their God would send fire down to consume their offering. And it's kind of a funny story because there's like all these prophets, 450 prophets, and they're just like begging and pleading with Baal to send down offering. And Elijah is like standing like off to the side. Elijah's got like all these buckets of water and he's got this big offering built and he has like a, a servant with him. And all these, all these prophets of Baal are begging their God to do it, and Elijah's just, like, kind of ignoring them. He's taking, like, buckets of water, pouring it on his offering, just like, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, keep on yelling. He, tell, he, he eggs them on, even. He says, I don't think you're yelling loud enough. Yell louder. Yell louder. And so it's, like, the ultimate, like, you know when you're taunting someone, you're playing sports or something, and then, like, What usually happens is when you taunt someone and you're playing sports, like the next second you get destroyed by them. Well, in this case, it's actually the opposite of that. Because what happens is the prophets of Baal are begging their God to send down fire and nothing happens. And then Elijah has dumped a whole bunch of water on his offering. And he just says, God, we just pray that you would send your fire down to consume this offering. And just like that, fire comes from heaven, consumes the offering Consumes the water. It even says in the Bible that it consumes the stones and the dust around the offering. So it doesn't get much more uh, boss than that. Um, And so huge flames come from heaven, and then Elijah, with the help of God, doesn't just win; he absolutely destroys the competition. So this is where we enter the story. So at this point in the history of Israel, because we all know context is important. Um, at this point in the history of Israel, Israel is actually one of the furthest points away that they've ever been from God since the time of Moses. And they had been led to worship Baal by their king ah- um, ah- not Ahab, yeah, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And so they're all, uh, a lot of Israelites are kind of just like worshiping, um, worshiping Baal. And so when the fire comes down from heaven and consumes Elijah's offering, it was a power move. And King Ahab was like, oh yeah, this guy, I need to listen to him. So Elijah commands, so not only does the fire come from heaven and like all that happens and like they're told to be, all the prophets are totally shamed. Then Elijah is just like really going for it. And he commands all of the prophets of Baal to be killed. So a whole bunch of people come and kill all 450 prophets of Baal. It's like wiping out an entire, uh, an entire religion all in one fell swoop. So... The king was on Elijah's side. Uh, Israel was finally turning towards God. So I'm a really competitive guy. It doesn't really matter um, what I'm playing, whether that's sports, whether that's like board games, video games when I play like once every 10 years because I'm not very good, so I don't play because I'm competitive. Um, and, and a few weeks ago, uh, actually, maybe a few months ago, I was playing this game. Uh, it's a really hard game, takes a lot of talent, a lot of skill, a lot of uh, athletic ability. Uh, It's the game of Crib. And if you've ever played Crib, it's actually very simple. You just have like a little peg board and then you like peg your way, making points, getting 15, like adding your cards to 15 or to 31, doubles or runs or whatever. So, I was actually playing with Dave, he's sitting in the front row here. Uh, He's kind of putting his head down because he knows what I'm about to say. So, we were playing this game and Dave and his team or were you on my team? I think Dave was on my team at that time, so you can look up, Dave. Um, so we were, we were playing against another team and they were like seven points away from winning the game. We were like, we were 10 points back from them. And all in one hand, we were able to peg all the way up and pass the other team. They were at like, they were at the last hole before winning the game. And I played this one card and it gave us 10 points and we just like whipped past them, beat them, their hearts were broken, absolutely boss move. And so they were absolutely devastated, which is how it should be, and I felt like I was on top of the world. So that's kind of exactly how Elijah felt. He was on top of the world, he felt like he just wiped away this enemy, like they were crying, I mean they were dead, so um, (laughs) they weren't crying I guess. Um, And the ties had completely turned. And when he thought everything was lost, fire came. Uh, when Elijah thought everything was lost, fire came down from heaven. The king was on his side. The prophets of Baal were killed, and everything was right in the world. So at this time, uh, also Israel had been in a big drought because they had forsaken God. So sometimes God does that. So he put. There, he was in. A, they were in a drought, and uh, Elijah decided that he was going to pray for rain because, you know, there's nothing like beating someone, and then there's nothing like absolutely destroying someone, and there's nothing like sprinkling you know, extra shame on them after you've beat them. So Elijah's like, Elijah's like, you know what, God, let's just put a cherry on top. Let's get some rain going here. And so, um, so then God says, okay, there's going to be a huge rainstorm and and the storm clouds start coming and they're in this valley that's really prone to flash flooding. And so they got to get to the other side of this valley. Uh, King Ahab needs to get to the other side of this valley where his palace is. And Elijah also needs to get to the other side of this valley before the flash flood. And so, Elijah says, uh, told King Ahab to hurry and to take his chariot and his horses before the rain came. And then one of my favorite things uh, in the whole Bible happens. So in, King, in 1 Kings 18.45, uh, the Bible says, And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, if you're casually reading this, you're like, why would he care about that? Like, what's so cool about that? Well, the thing is that Ahab was riding, was being pulled by horses on a chariot. And it says that Elijah ran ahead of King Ahab. So Elijah is like this prophet. He's wearing a cloak. He's got a beard like at least double the size of mine. And it's, the Bible says he tucks his cloak into his belt. I also imagine he probably tucks his beard into his belt. Just get everything out of the way. And he just starts running. And if we just think of Jezreel being like a kilometer away, like, I mean, I couldn't do that anyways. But, but most runners could run for, for a kilometer. But this was actually the distance that a marathon is. It's about three miles less than, than a marathon. And Elijah just runs the whole way there. Now, I think there's probably a lot of people here today who could definitely use that gift of speed. There's like moms here whose kids are just running like crazy who probably have that gift of speed, all the kids do. And uh, the moms could definitely use it. There's, there's, there's a lot of people that could use that gift. I work as a mailman throughout the week, so that gift would literally save me thousands of hours. So I've been praying that God would kind of give it to me, been growing out my beard, but nothing happened yet. Might have to invest in a good rope. Um, but how many of us have been in a place in our lives where we feel like God has used us in an amazing way? We can look back at those times and just desire that God would use us in the same way. We remember we, we feel, we remember feeling like Elijah felt after he had that amazing victory. So what happens next in the story is when King Ahab arrived back at his palace. King Ahab is this guy who's like spineless. He's one of those guys who, he just listens to the strongest voice in the room. So like, He's like, um, he's like, someone's like, what's the best restaurant? And there's like a strong voice who's like, McDonald's. He's like, oh yeah, McDonald's is like the best restaurant. And then like the next day they're in another place and someone's like, what's the best restaurant? Or what's the worst restaurant? And a strong voice is like, McDonald's. He's like, yeah, McDonald's is the worst restaurant. So he just can't make up his own mind. He's just influenced so easily by other people. So he was totally on Elijah's side until he got back home to his wife. And many of us have heard of Queen Jezebel. She was a bad, bad lady. Um, she was the one who had actually got those 450 prophets of Baal. She was the one who had instituted Baal worship in Israel and really encouraged it. So when King, when King Ahab arrives at home and he tells Jezebel that he just killed 450 prophets. He's like stoked about it. You know, he gets home, he's like, yeah, we just went and God sent fire down from heaven and we killed like 450 prophets of Baal. And it like, it was super awesome. And then like the rain came and Elijah was like running faster than my horses, which was pretty crazy. And Jezebel is just sitting there with her arms crossed and she's like, are you kidding me? You killed 450 of my prophets? And so she was not happy. This is a relationship where the wife wears the pants. And when mama ain't happy, daddy's got problems. So uh, let's read 1 Kings 19 verse one. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to it right now. 1 Kings 19 verse one. There's also uh, on the screen behind me. So when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah just had this amazing, amazing, just like a win. And he's feeling good, and then he gets back, and he's th- his life is threatened. You know, I, when I think of this, I feel like it kind of blows me away. It's like, Imagine if the Oilers won the Stanley Cup, which is going to happen this year. Um, So the Oilers win the Stanley Cup, and then right after they win the Stanley Cup, um, what's the guy's name? Monaghan from Calgary. You know, worst player ever. He comes up to Connor McDavid and is like, yeah, you guys are dead next year. And then Connor McDavid immediately holds a press conference and says, I'm now retiring from the Edmonton Oilers because I'm so scared. Like, this is the situation, okay? Makes no sense at all. But that's what happens. I feel like my reaction would be like, whatever. Uh, I just destroyed you and all your prophets. I'm so much better. Um, but instead Elijah just runs away. He's, he's really into running. Um, and he runs all the way to Beersheba. How many of us have been in a place where it seems like we're making huge progress, maybe talking to a coworker, talking to family about God, maybe trying to overcome personal sin, going through stuff and we're just, we're just owning it. We're just feeling like, yeah, I am destroying this. And all of a sudden, we don't know why, we don't know what happens, but all of a sudden we fail. Maybe it's, we fail with a sin. Maybe it's, we're talking to a coworker at work about Jesus. And like, we've been working on this person for like five years. And then like another coworker comes up and is like, "Uh, that's stupid. You know, we've all been in the place where it feels like we're making good progress and then all of a sudden there's like a 180 and we just feel like absolute garbage. That's what Elijah was feeling. See, the context of this is that Elijah felt the call from God to turn Israel's heart from the prophet of Baal and towards Yahweh. And everything was going according to plan. In fact, he even had the king on his side and no more prophets to deal with. He had an expectation that everything was going to change. He even had the expectation that the queen was just going to be like, you know what? Actually, yeah, those 450 prophets, like, I didn't need them. Yahweh is the God. But, but what, that wasn't what happened. See, the series that we're going through is called Live the Story. And I know many people here today have lived this exact situation. Maybe it's dealing with sin or maybe it's dealing with, with people at work or maybe it's dealing with growing your character and you feel so strong, um, like you're just killing it, and all of a sudden you're back in the place you know you shouldn't be. None of us in this room hasn't dealt with that in one way or another. So let's go back to 1 Kings 19 verse 4 and see what happens. I guess I'll keep on reading off the screen. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down underneath a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. That sounds pretty good. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. One of the things I love so much about the Bible is that Elijah, without even realizing it, was taking the exact same journey that the Israelites had taken in the time of Moses. See, the Israelites, when they arrived in the Promised Land, they sent spies in, and the spies came back and said, you know what, Like, I know that God just defeated all the Egyptians, sent all the plagues and stuff, but these guys in this new nation are giants. Like, they're a bunch of murdas, and we cannot take them down. And so, which is true, if we were in that land, you you should turn back and run. Sorry, competitive nature. Um, but he, he, they go and they, they turn back and they brought back a bad word to the Israelites, and so the Israelites, um, their punishment was actually wandering through the desert for forty years. And so what's happening here is that Elijah is taking uh, these. Um, Elijah is taking like an express version of what the the Israelites had done. He was wandering the wilderness, doubting God and trusting in fear. Yet God provided him with food and with water until he finally arrived at the same mountain where god had met moses mount horeb or his other name mount sinai so one thing i love so much about the bible is actually literally my favorite thing about the bible i get so excited when i'm like studying and stuff and this happens is that the bible isn't just a bunch of stories that have been compiled that are like you know random writer here random writer there doesn't doesn't have unity but the bible is so connected in so many areas it has, it, 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 there are a lot of small stories that we can be understood um, by themselves, but there's also a greater narrative that's been weaved through the entire book. See, it was no coincidence that Elijah wandered for 40 days and that he ended up at Mount Sinai and that God fed him along the way. It was no coincidence that all happened right after a great victory and then when he trusted in fear. It's no coincidence that so many times in the Bible, we were reminded that there will be victories, but there will also be times of failure and disheartenment. But it's incredible to see that God takes care of his people. He still provides exactly what they need. So verse 9, let's continue reading. So there Elijah came to a cave. Uh, Verse 9, Matt, please. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Many of us have heard this passage before that God wasn't found in the wind, he wasn't found in the earthquake, he wasn't found in the fire, but that he was found in the whisper. And a lot of us take that to mean that God always speaks in a whisper, right? But we know that context is important and if we compare this story, if we parallel this story with the story of Moses, we see that it's not that God speaks just in a whisper, it's that God moves in different ways for different people. For some of us, he will appear in the earthquake just as he did for the Israelites in the town of Moses. For some of us, he will appear in the wind or in the fire, and for others, he'll appear in a whisper. The important thing for us is that we're listening. That when we face fear and defeat, we put ourselves in a place where we can discern God's voice and where we can allow him to speak into our situation. The point isn't that God only speaks in a whisper, but that God was doing a new thing for Elijah than he had for Moses. That the victory that Elijah was looking for was going to look different than the victories in the past, He was expecting that with the victory on the top of the mountain, with the fire and the prophets being killed, that everything would immediately transform in Israel, that things would change. He was expecting that the things that would have been done in the past would be the way they would continue in the future. And God wanted to say that he was doing a new thing, that the victory would come by different methods as in the past. See, sometimes we get stuck in a place where we expect God to move the same way over and over Growing up, I always went to this camp. I think the Weldons were just there. They got back. And uh, this camp I went to is Pemina Bible Camp, best camp ever. It's like so, like, I don't. there's no word to describe it, really. The cabins are made out of old chicken coops. Um, some people say rustic. I say poverty. Um, it's a great camp, though, because there's nothing there. So all you, have, all you can do is meet with God and hang out with people. So if you're looking for a camp for your kids, Pemina Bible Camp be there next year um it's a great camp and that's a huge place where God transformed my life and every single year I'd go to camp and God would change my life but at one point I got too old to go to the camp and so now if I believed what a lot of us do believe without even realizing that God's going to move the same way he used to move then from this point to the rest of my life God's not going to change my life because I can't go back to that camp But the reality is that God wants to do new things in and through us every single day. Ultimately, it comes down to relationship with God and putting ourselves in a place to hear him speak. It doesn't mean throwing away the old ways that God worked in in and through us, but it means allowing God to work no matter how or where he wants to do it. So we'll keep on reading in verse 15. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. If anyone wants a kid named Nimshi, uh, I'd appreciate that. Uh, And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, wow, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve seven thousand others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. Wow, those didn't read that translation before. Um, but bowed down to Baal. See, God had to bring Elijah to a place of revelation, revelation of who God was and that He had a plan. It wasn't Elijah's plan. Elijah wanted to be wanted it to be a one and done. He wanted that fire to come from heaven, everything to change in that one one swell move. But but God knew that there was something else. See, Elijah saw you know, that. He saw it as a success. But then right after, when, when, when Queen Jezebel threatened his life, he, he viewed himself as a failure. He said, God, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than the people before me that failed and, and wouldn't, wouldn't cast out Baal worship in Israel. He really believed he was a failure. But God saw him as a success. When God told Elijah to anoint the next prophet and the next two kings, Elijah didn't know that God would use those three individuals to rid the land of Baal completely. See, God's way of correcting Elijah's perspective was to bring him to a place of revelation, which is what he must do with us time and again. When we feel like Elijah, when we feel like we have only half completed the job or that we keep failing, are we letting God correct our perspective? See, last week, Pastor Brett spoke about Peter proclaiming Jesus as the son of the living God. And where where Peter did that was on the same mountain where Elijah had called down fire from heaven. Peter understood Jesus to be God. But if we flip ahead, so if we go to Matthew 17, uh, verse 1. Once again, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 17, verse 1. We can keep on reading. This This is literally a few days later. So six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, we know from last week that Peter is a little bit of a rash guy. You know, he just lets his lips flap. He kind of says whatever, um, you know, he, he's got great, you know, he's got great oomph, but sometimes he just doesn't think things through. So, like, just imagine Jesus is on the top of a mountain. His whole body and face becomes white with light, shining like the sun. And then Moses and Elijah appear, okay? Now, if I'm in Peter's position, I'd just be like, oh, my goodness, this is insane. Just, like, watching, not saying anything. Well, what Peter does is he goes, and he's just like, you know, Jesus is talking with uh, Elijah and Moses, and Peter, like, taps him on the shoulder. like, hey, Jesus. Uh, I got a great idea. Um, I was thinking, what if we built three tents? It would be a great place for you to hang out. You get tired. You can sleep there. Like, this would be awesome. And that would not be my reaction at all. Um, I guess Peter really liked camping. Um, But that's not what I would do. So then the Bible says, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. This is the crux of what I'm trying to say today. We will go through times where we feel like failures. We feel shame. We feel afraid. But when we look up, when, we, when we're terrified, we're on the ground, and we just don't think that we can make it, we, when we look up, we must look and see only Jesus. It's not the way that he worked through Moses. It's not the way he worked through Elijah. We have Jesus now, and we must look and see only Jesus. Jesus is the way that God has revealed to us now. Jesus is the one who has the power to overcome our faults and failures, and when we feel afraid, Jesus is the only one who can bring us to a place of peace. Sometimes we can we can feel afraid like the enemy is like really strong in a certain place. Um, Pastor Brett has joked uh, for the past like three months that me and Haley went on an extended honeymoon. What's well, an extended honeymoon? Like is three weeks too much? I don't think so. Maybe three months would be extended, but I mean. Uh, Our friends over here just got back from a month honeymoon, so I think they're the ones who went on the extended honeymoon. Um, But when Haley and I were on uh, our honeymoon, uh, we were in Bali, Indonesia, and actually Pastor Brett was in Indonesia earlier this year. And the part where Brett was is very Muslim. It's about 90% Muslim, but where we were in Bali, it's all Hindu, so it's about 83% Hindu. And then of the remaining like 17%, there's only 2% that are Christian and 8% that are Muslim. And so we aren't, we, we're in this country and it's like, you know, they're they're definitely uh, into idol worship. And you go to like every single restaurant and there'd, be, there'd literally be a temple in every single restaurant, just like this little mini temple. And like they'd put these little baskets with like this weave, like banana leaf or something. And they put like their little offering in it and it'd be everywhere. Like you'd just be walking You'd be, like, walking, like, window shopping, and you'd step on about 15 offerings. You'd kind of feel bad about it, but then you're like, well, they're actually, like, for not Jesus, so I'm going to keep on stepping on them. And let's be honest, uh, all the stray dogs there are completely happy and healthy because of these offerings. So, and just fun fact, actually, since we're talking about Jezebel, the Bible says later on that Jezebel would be cursed and that her curse would be that dogs would eat her uh, eat her flesh and stuff when she died. And so it's like, it's a defiling thing. So when I was, when we were in Bali, I was like, man, like these dogs are literally defiling these offerings. It's just so insane. So anyway, so we were, we were in Bali and you know that there's a spiritual presence there. And, and sometimes you're really not aware of it, but then there's other times where you're really keenly aware of it. You just feel like this, this heaviness almost. And it was in those times that Haley and I would usually, um, start listening to Hillsong United, their new album, Wonder. And the album's amazing. If, anyone doesn't, if anyone's looking for some good music, listen to Wonder by Hillsong. Um, and it would just make us always feel so much better. And then one day, one of us remembered something. You know, we, we can think uh, that, that this album was recorded in a Christian community, in a Christian church, in a Christian country, and that that's why we felt peace, that it was like a piece of that was back with us. But we remembered that Hillsong had actually flown to Bali and they had recorded a bunch of songs from that album in Bali. See, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this enemy's camp, they had written these songs. And when we thought of that, when we realized that, it actually, I got really emotional thinking about that. That, that, you know what, it doesn't even matter where you are. It It has no bearing where you are whether God's going to be with you or not, whether there's going to be an anointing with you or not, whether Jesus is going to show up or not. He's always going to be there. See, the reality is that Jesus' power is stronger than the fear that we have. His power is bigger than the powers we are fighting against, and his peace is greater than the turmoil around us. He is more than enough and able to do more than we could ask or imagine. But it takes us stepping out and doing it. See, even when we're under threat like Elijah was, we shouldn't be afraid. Even when things seem at their darkest, we know that we can look to Jesus and that he's there. I know I read a lot of scripture today, um, but I think it's important that we understand what Elijah was going through. Sometimes we can read the Bible and these stories seem really cool and, and great, but we can't really relate. The whole series that we're going through is to show how people and characters in the Bible aren't so different from us today. When we look at scriptures, we can see Moses, Elijah, Peter, and so many others, see how they actually changed the entire course of history. And sometimes, you know, my generation, we grew up with this thought like, I'm going to change the world, you know, millennials are all going to change the world. They're all going to start their own businesses and whatever, right? Um, So we all grew up with that. But then as you get older, you're just like, honestly, like that sounds like way too much work. I'm just going to be comfortable and like stay with my family. But the reality is, is that we don't need to change the whole world. What we need to do is we need to change individual people's worlds in our world. We need to reach the people in our workplace, our family, our neighbors, people that just come along. We need to change them. Even the courage and kindness thing, that is a way that we can change our world and the the world around us. It doesn't mean that we're just doing one big thing. It doesn't mean that we need to be Elijah, that we need to be Moses, that we need to call fire down from heaven, and he consumes Brendan and the guitar and his shoes. I mean, sometimes we wish that he would, but I'm just kidding. Um, But what it means is that we, we ask God to change our world a little bit at a time. See, maybe that means for us today, taking a conversation back up with your coworker when you felt like you were doing great and you just got shut down. Or or maybe that means continuing to struggle with that sin that you've been struggling with. You know, the struggle's real. We all struggle with stuff. It's when we give into the struggle, when we stop struggling, that there's a real problem. See, God is enough. Christ is enough. When we feel that struggle, when we feel that fear, when we feel that shame, when we feel all of those things, we need to do what Peter did and the disciples did and look up and see only Jesus. God wants to work through you. And we need his perspective to understand that change might look different than we expected. We need to understand that God is wherever we go. And that fear is simply trusting in everything except for God. Allow these stories of men in the Bible to remind you of God's faithfulness and goodness. These stories are a word of someone else's testimony, and a testimony is a powerful weapon. See, even later on, uh, Peter wrote two books in the Bible, and he's possibly three, and he said, later on in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, he remembered back to this time that he had with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, for we were not making up clever stories when he told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven and when we were with him on the holy mountain. You've been listening to The Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.